Hi, everybody. My name is Kai Savas. Welcome to another film music uh, media con conversation. I am so uh, excited to welcome uh, Dave Metzger. Dave, thank you so much for for joining me today. Uh, well, thank you, Kai. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. So I've, you know, I I'd love to, you know, I love to just go back and maybe find your origin story. I love to know uh, everyone's backgrounds. But uh, but before we do that, um, I love to just open with this question, and you can take it. You can take it at face value. You can take it uh, as a deep philosophical question. But I'm just curious, as a as a as a human being, as a storyteller, as a musician, as a composer, um, what does music mean to you? Oh wow, what a sweet question to start with. My gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think you know, I can see it on a couple of different planes. Um, one thing uh, is just for me personally, it's an expression of my soul, my spirit, right? You yeah, know, yeah. it's um, is how I look at it. It's a chance to. I have, I've all, my entire life, I've really had these feelings bottled up inside, or not bottled up, but but stored inside, you know. And, yeah. And I really, uh, music has been the 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 best way for sure for me to express what those feelings are and what those thoughts are. So I, uh, yeah, that that's at, at its root level for me. That's what it what it means and what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm curious. So, when did you find music? I mean, rewinding back, was music a part of your childhood? Were you in a musical family? Did you find it later in life? I'm curious. What was kind of maybe that like first catalyst that got you from going to? to I'm really interested in this. And then maybe when did it start to become like, oh, this is going to be my career path? I'm curious. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I um, grew up in actually a very non-musical family. Um, so non-musical that my father was uh, was tone deaf. And so oh. he couldn't recognize any any melodies. The only way he could recognize songs was if there were lyrics with them. And so, wow. um, which is kind of wild, right? And, yeah. Uh, but uh, but he was a scientist, so he was a pretty smart guy. I mean, you know, he was a smart guy, and and I expect that's maybe the part I got from him. Uh, well, I don't know. That's actually really <laughs> presumptuous, isn't it? But uh, but, <laughs> but but you know, he really um, modeled a lot of um, you know searching and learning for me. You know, actually, sure. is what he he did. And my mom wasn't a musician at all, but the one thing she did is she loved having music on around the house. So as far back as I can remember, there was always something going on, um, you know, the background. And she listened to a, a wide variety of things. She um, listened to show tunes or show cast albums. So I, I remember listening to Camelot when I was a kid. Uh, and uh, But I also remember um, uh, soundtracks. And so it would be the soundtrack version of Sound of Music. I remember hmm. I remember West Side Story um, quite quite well. And um, but she also listened to things like Spike Jones, you know, and so yeah. just like really kind of wacky things too. And but she'd but you'd mix she'd mix in like Andy Williams and Perry Como. It was like this really weird kind of mix of music. And yeah. so you know that was really fun and enjoyable. And um, and then they tried to um, uh, sign me up for piano lessons when I was like about five or six years old. I can't remember when, but I completely rebelled because yeah. I would have rather been playing baseball, you know, exactly. or sports, whatever. Like this, you know. And now I look back and it's like, how stupid was that, you know? Because I'm actually a really horrible <laughs> piano player. You know, my keyboard skills are really, really, really bad. And so, but um, so I had probably about a month of piano lessons, and then other than that, uh, in grade school, it was just the typical American you know music programs back then it would be like about once a week i think they took us into classes and we'd play recorders you know and stuff like that but never anything more than that but uh wow. then i got to seventh grade and i really wanted to take a woodshop class um but that class was full and so the school administration in their um in in just trying to try to figure out what to do with these kids right put me in a choir class and i remember you know talking with my parents and i really did not want to do that class at all um, but they said, oh, just try it out. You know, you might enjoy it or whatever, you know, might get something out of it. So, um, so I, you know, tried it. And the first couple of weeks after that, I kind of realized that a lot of the music we were singing was written by the teacher, the choir director. And it turned out that that choir director was a woman named Joyce Eilers. And she was at that time, uh, one of the top composers of choral music for junior high, you know, choirs in the United States, in the country. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. And yeah. so there was something that clicked there, though. Then when I saw that she was doing that, so I thought uh, we got to the first Christmas vacation time and I thought, well, I'm going to see what I can do. And and so I was just really interested in 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 trying to write something down. So 
that I wrote uh, a four-part acapella arrangement of Barbara Ann, which is like the old Jan and Dean Beach Boys song. I don't know. Yeah, if you know Bar, Bar, yeah. Bar, 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 Bar. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you could be one of those singers on it for me. But, <laughs> but anyway, but I wrote it out. I didn't. I couldn't play piano, so I didn't have any any instrumental assist or anything. So I just went straight from my head onto paper. And um, wow. and I took it in then in January and showed it to her and she saw that there was something that might be worth nurturing. And so she kind of took me under her wing at that point. And by the time I got to eighth grade, um, she was programming music that I was writing um, in uh, concerts. And by the time I got to ninth grade, she was then programming for like the festival from the stuff where, you know, you'd go around to different places and perform. So I was getting a lot of great feedback and uh, yeah. at a very early age, honestly, with a, a very wonderful teacher. And after that, I switched to band in high school. Uh, the band program director was kind of a legendary director where I went to school and his name was Harvey Brooks. And and um, so then I started uh, playing bass at that point and writing tons of jazz band charts and concert band pieces oh wow and another sorry i'm this is a long story no <laughs> so please go no, no no don't i'm not shutting you down no please i, I my i've i've had like hour and a half interviews with people so like, we got, if you're not in a rush i'm not in a rush <laughs> okay I'm, I'm it's cool as long as it's not too boring but not at all um, but then uh the other cool thing was then miss eilers the choir director in ninth grade then hooked me up with the the local university i grew up in corvallis oregon and and that school was oregon state university and she hooked me up with my first year of college music theory then in ninth grade so i got exposed to a whole lot of things there and one of the other cool things is that um the director or the teacher of that uh class the professor um took me kind of under his wing a little bit also and then made a listening list of classical music um, that I should listen to. So starting probably with Beethoven, I think was the earliest thing, but going through, you know, Strauss, going through Stravinsky, going through Ravel, yeah. going through Penderecki, you know, going through this entire thing from, you know, like 1820 or whatever through, you know, the current day at that point. And then he took me to the music library and showed me how to check out the score and, for these pieces on his list and the record. So I would just listen to the recordings and study the score as it was going by. And whenever I heard something that kind of tweaked my ear, I would stop. It was a 33 in LP, right? So I would take yeah. up the, <laughs> the tone arm and study the score and figure out what it was that was making those sounds. And that's essentially how I learned orchestration was wow. I just, yeah, just, um, and I also at that point was doing a ton of transcription. So um, the other thing I haven't mentioned yet is that when I was, so I knew when I was 12 years old, that's when I started writing music. I started writing and I okay. really enjoyed it. And then when I was 16 though, which was about the same time as taking the college theory, um, I saw in a theater, and this shows how old I am, I saw the first Star Wars movie. <laughs> and wow. I knew at that moment, that's exactly what I, I wanted to do, film music. And so- wow. um, so it was like I was 16 years old, saw, saw John Williams music and saw how it worked with the picture, you know, and so so at that point, that's when I knew it's what I wanted to do. And I started then transcribing um, a lot because you couldn't get the scores back then. So I would do takedowns and I did takedowns of Star Wars cues. Um, I did a lot of big band takedowns, so like Buddy Rich charts and and um, and uh, did stupid wow. things. I don't know, stupid. <laughs> I did silly things like uh, arrange adagio for strings for concert band you know when i was like probably 16 years old you know so like yeah kind of like had a whole bunch of it wasn't very good honestly it was really bad but <laughs> as you could imagine but but it was great you know like i kind of had great teachers who supported me and great parents who supported me even though they didn't understand any of it but they were always <laughs> you know behind me you know right and yeah wonderful and in, in those kind of regards so you know, so that's kind of my earliest, um, you know, experiences, and uh, and then it kind of just grew from there, and and uh, yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, yeah. Then uh, you fast forward, and here we are. Like it's it's kind of crazy yeah. how just life takes like it. You kind of you you think you're kind of like manifesting your own destiny, and it kind of it kind of just takes you by, by the hand, and you know, you end up you're like, how the hell did I get up here? You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really true. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy because like I work yeah. at Cartoon Network Studios, and I started at Disney and uh, home entertainment, and uh, like uh. I don't know anything about animation, and I'm just like I went to film school in Maryland, I flew out to LA, and I want to be a filmmaker, and then I'm like, no, I'm working in production.
production systems and managing, you know, right. helping man with the producers. So yeah, but I love it. You know, it's great. <laughs> oh, amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm so I'm curious about like kind of your first jobs in the industry, like getting your kind of foot in the door. Cause I love that you, because you're, you're still based in Oregon, right? Like you're yeah. still, so yep. you, you, so you stayed kind of in your home state. Did you ever move to LA and then decide to go back? Is that what the plan? Yeah. yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I got through high school and it was like, I knew I wanted to do film music, but especially, you know, that would have been 1978. And yeah. so, um, you know, when there wasn't really much going on in Oregon, you know, and sure. so I, yeah. knew, I, I, uh, I knew that enough to know that I had to go to Southern California if I wanted, or that was the best shot if I wanted to get sure. into film music. So, so my choir director had a connection at Long Beach State, Cal State University, Long Beach, and they had a very nascent film scoring program back then, uh, which was very rare at, at that time. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so she recommended I go there. So I went there and, and, um, and then I, so I had my Southern California experience from, uh, for about 14 years, 13 years, I guess it was, I was there for college and then moved back up to Oregon when I was 31, when my first oh. son was born. And my wife, who is from Oregon, also said, we have to, I'm, what she said is, I'm going back to Oregon, I'm taking our kid, and you can come if you want. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, we went, we went through a similar thing where my wife and I just, we don't have kids, but during the pandemic, we, uh, we I had been out here, she's born and raised in like Redondo, so uh, she's you know in the South Bay area, but I moved from East Coast, and then during the pandemic, like we're, I was very fortunate where my my work was like you can be fully remote. That's fine. We'll preview be fully remote, like everyone kind of was. And we're like, yeah, let's mm -hmm. leave LA. It's too expensive. It's too crazy. Let's get the hell out of here. Right. But right. Then like about six months in, we're just like we miss it, and then we came yeah. back. So, so yeah. yeah, after two years back at in my home state in Maryland, we're like, yeah, I don't, I don't miss the humidity. I mean, I, Oregon is beautiful oh. though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and for me, you know, honestly, it's always been home. You know, even when yeah. we were in Southern California. I just never quite felt, um, you know, um, organically engaged, or I don't know how you want to yeah, say it. Yeah, no, know? I understand that completely, where you don't feel yep. like it's, yep. for, for me, it's the opposite. LA, I don't know, I feel like LA fits me like a glass, why I feel comfortable here, right. but I understand people who just, some people are different, like yeah. it doesn't, the the, the the style, the lifestyle, the, the, the yep. kind of layout of yep. the city. Yeah. Yep. And and just Oregon has always felt really like home for me, you know, it always yeah. did. So, well, that's amazing. You know, so, so when I was down in Southern California, though, so I did the college thing. And at that point, I started um, writing for, um, you know, uh, the occasional um, industrial film, you know, and small little commercial things. So I sort of started doing that, then um, spent a couple of years just needing to make money. So I was playing in a, in a top 40 band in bars and stuff. So I did oh, that, that's, yeah. which was great because that really kind of honed my pop music skills right you know sure, that I, which... you know that i wouldn't have really had that exposure that i've you know has come in handy over my career and uh um and then uh started writing for um a jazz trumpet player maynard ferguson i don't know if you know who he is but he yeah. was kind of the legendary uh, uh, trumpet player and had a big band stuff so i i did that for a couple of years and then i wrote for the ice capades you know for um, about four years which you know was a great um, production experience, learning how to like uh, record things and do arrangements for arrangements for more commercial kind of projects. And so, but then I got to, uh, I was like 30 and there was about a year where I had no work at all. I like yeah. um, was completely um, unemployed. And that's, that's kind of why my wife said, well, we're, let's go back to Oregon. And, and I sure. really couldn't argue with it because I thought, well, I gave it a shot, but it's not going to happen, yeah. you know? And, and, uh, and it was like two weeks before we moved, we were moving. I got a call from a friend who had just been hired to be the music supervisor of The Tonight Show, right when Jay Leno was taken over. Johnny Carson had just wrapped up and Jay right. Leno had taken over. And they didn't have any music for the new band. It was Brantford Marsalis was the band leader of the, the, the new group. And so he asked me, he didn't know I was moving to Oregon. You know, yeah. and so, well, <laughs> you, you know, you want to write some charts, you know, for it? And I said, sure, you know, and, yeah. and not telling him. And. So I went in NBC after I had like five together and Brantford, I guess, liked what I had done. And, and then I thought, okay, I better tell him, you know, I'm moving to Oregon. And, and, and he said, well, and this is 1991. He said, well, they got fax machines in Oregon, don't they? You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> Which wow. they did, but there was no internet, right? Right. Yeah. There's no internet. So, but I mean, it must've been, you probably were in that torn space because it was like, you, you gave it your all for like this amount of time and you're i mean i i hit i think everyone's at that point where you're just like oh god i feel like a failure i feel like i didn't achieve yeah. my goal my dream and then yeah. i'm about to you know pack up and go home and then you always hear the story and then something happens and it's like why yeah. now like how come it didn't yeah. happen like five years ago or something <laughs> it's you know? exactly right right yeah so, 
but the one thing I'll say, Kai, you know, that for me, it was always about my family, right? Yeah, that I knew that, especially because I didn't have a reason to stay down there. I knew that it was gonna be way better for my family. And um, to move to move back up, our, our parents were still alive. So our kids got to know their grandparents and all that yeah. stuff, you know, yeah. so it was like all those, the kind of the 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 life things that really kind of um, drove that move. And, uh, um, and I was accepting of the fact I might sell real estate, or I didn't know what I was going to do necessarily, but that was worth the trade off, you know, for yeah. me. And, and then the thing fell out of the sky, you know, of the Tonight Show. And so the first five years we lived up there, I did like 250 compositions and arrangements from Oregon for the Tonight Show. And I and I would just do the charts and I'd fax them down, you know, and they'd, they'd play them. And by the last little stretch, it was, um, they were just sight reading them on the air. You know, there was no time to even rehearse. And so it, that kind of made me get even more buttoned up, you know, and I couldn't, yeah. I knew I could make mistakes, right? So it it sort of made me, uh, my charts probably or my writing more bulletproof than ever and so that was the positive I suppose so yeah that's amazing and I know you I mean, some of your early credits were like also like you don't know Jack the video game or oh and, yeah, yeah. a couple of video game things yeah video game yeah. things which are now you don't know Jack is actually a pretty popular thing it's yeah. like exploded now people use their phones and it can join yeah. you know people can play across you know during pandemic I played it a lot I know oh but, wow. but the, <laughs> the fact that you did it back in 97 with the first or like iteration of it or yeah. or whatever that was that's amazing whatever it was yeah, yeah yeah so when did um but i guess so, oh yeah sorry oh, go, ahead. go ahead no after you i don't know, I don't know. i'm curious but hey, i'm just like so after yeah i guess you were working on some early projects so when did i guess when did mark i guess enter your life yeah. when did mark Mancina... that's exactly where we left yeah. off that's <laughs> 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 yeah, so uh so i did that gig tonight show for like five years and then me and branford had left and things changed in the show so that gig disappeared you know and so then i was back to thinking okay well so real estate or something you know and yeah then, like it was like about two maybe months after that, I got a call from a great longtime buddy of mine in Southern California, Don Harper. Yeah, and Don, um yeah. yep. And so Don was had just been brought in uh by Mark Manchina to um arrange, uh, not arrange, but orchestrate uh um uh it was speed two. two right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So not not speed. Like, right. Not, Cruise control, not, uh, baby. Yeah. yeah. There you go. The very slow moving boat, right? Yeah. The speed. Yeah. Right. But so Don um was then needing some help. And so he was wondering, uh, and Don had actually kept me going on other projects in Oregon too. He'd hired me for um he Don did a lot of like theme parks and things like that. So I'd do yeah. orchestrating and arranging for him on those jobs. So so Don brought me in to work on speed two. And Mark and I um kind of hit it off and uh um and uh so then the film ended and I thought oh well that was fun I at least got to do one movie you know <laughs> and right. so then, yeah and then uh but about a month or two after that then Mark called me up and he'd been hired by Disney to produce the music for the Broadway version of The Lion King right yeah and the person who'd been hired to orchestrate the film uh the show had just pulled out of the show so Mark was needing an orchestrator um, to step into that job. And I thought, well, why not? Why not? <laughs> you know, and boy, was that and a great decision. Told, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a bad decision for that, that, that last orchestrator probably is kicking himself or herself. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think he's done all right, too. But uh, but um, but it was it was definitely a pivotal kind of deal because the. Yeah. Yeah, it obviously is was a great show and and uh is still running and you know the top selling grossing show on Broadway running. even now 26 years later you know and yeah. uh, um and has had I don't know 40 50 companies around the world and is still going in London and I think 10 or 12 companies still going around so anyway it um and the biggest thing though is it honestly really solidified my relationship with Mark because we were so much in the trenches and so deep in the trenches during that yeah. show that I think he came to um, know that he could kind of rely on me, and I'm a pretty buttoned-up guy. You know, I'm I I, um, I I don't bring a lot of drama to things. I yeah. I, I like to just kind of um, I I love to just dive in and do the work, and I look at it as like art and a craft, you know, as opposed to like a business. And I look at absolutely it as, as working with people in a collaborative thing instead of instead of trying to be dramatic about it all and stuff like that. So anyway, so Mark and I really got along i mean we're great friends still you know and and yeah. uh, um and so uh so after that then that led to immediately after that was tarzan and um and so i orchestrated and arranged 
every second of tar of the animated film Tarzan, you know, and worked with Phil Collins on the songs and right. and yeah, and and so and I suppose kind of like um, you know uh, jumping ahead uh, more that uh, the other thing that was huge about Tarzan was that was where I first met Tom McDougall, who is the now is the head of all music for Disney films, right? right? Yeah, so, yeah. And so, so that really solidified your relationship with Disney too, probably, yeah. Yeah, it did, right. And again, the big thing is Tom was just starting out at Disney at that point. But he then, as he kind of moved up the ladder of Disney music, yeah, he sort of brought me along, you know. So um, kind of, uh, um, I'll kind of come back to him in a minute if that's okay. But yeah, so yeah. Then, then Mark and I, we just kind of kept, to, so everything that Mark did for, I don't know, 20 years probably I was involved in, in yeah, pretty close. orchestrated pretty much all of his stuff yeah yeah every everything and did a lot of additional music composition along too, the way yeah. too on a lot of those movies and uh um and so that was great you know because I got my um you know uh um uh cinematic compositional chops I guess refined by doing that and jumped over at some point in I think it might have been about 2006 or seven and started orchestrating then for other folks and did a bunch of movies with John Powell and yeah. and um some Al Silvestri movies and stuff with Hans and yeah. um golly you know and Henry stuff. Jackman okay yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. and then um Tom McDougall reappears in in 2013 where he at that point then had been hired to be um the head of music for Disney animation. So he was um, now in a pretty significant role, you know, and right. and there was a little film called, called Frozen. Yeah, that, um, small, that small one they were doing, yeah. Small little film, right? <laughs> but he then was looking for somebody to be the arranger of the songs and with Bobby and Kristen Lopez. Yeah. And, and he thought of me because we kept in touch through these all those years you know since since Tarzan and and so he brought me in and hooked me up with Bobby and Kristen and that then opened my life to a whole nother world oh, yeah. of um, of the song arranging thing that then kind of um became I'd say for like 10 years was kind of my main thing yeah that I, was I mean doing. I mean song arranging and it probably ties back to your days working you know with the bands and stuff like to you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you're it's really true yeah, and, you know, it really worked out because I had all of this experience and exposure from 12 years old of writing choral music, of of studying orchestration, you know, and really in-depth studying orchestration, of yeah. playing in a pop band. So I knew pop elements and writing pop horns and doing jazz charts. So I knew I'd, I'd been exposed to a, a lot of different things, you know, by the time I got to Frozen. And um and and Bobby and Kristen and I really hit it off and still have a wonderful relationship and and uh, they're great friends and wonderful people and and so so that then um you know led to um along the way then I guess Moana was in there where again yeah, Moana I did, when Mark came back you know and he yep, did with it with Mark and and uh, did all every second every note in that film is you know tied to me with either orchestration or arranging and did a lot of additional composition in that film and all the songs with Lynn and um and then uh jumped over to uh working with Al, uh Alan Menken on a yeah on a I couple just, of films. Disenchanted and yeah yep. yeah yep and then uh, Pask and Paul did stuff with them so it, it sort of the song arranging thing it be, then became kind of a, a whole nother kind of thing and yeah it was and and, and, it, and, and that kind of leads to finally getting my dream that I never thought was going to happen which was composing my own film where I was the composer and that was Wish and that was wish. that was Tom McDougall and Matt Walker also uh, in the Disney music department so yeah and I've talked a heck of a lot and I'm sorry <laughs> no this is I mean it's like I, I had everything laid out you just kind of hit all the bullet points I'm sorry <laughs> but perfect. no but it's it's so fascinating and I do want to talk about yeah I guess I think it's a perfect time to jump into wish so we'll jump into wish now and I do some I have some other things I want to touch back on but I think it was a perfect segue into that because so wish I mean because you took all of that uh I mean all of that that journey through Disney and with Mark and I mean you along the way you were doing you know a lot of those uh, uh you know sequels that were fantastic too i mean the tarzan uh two and you know tarzan and jane and brother bear two and don's uh don harper's like disney films and orchestrating right. some of that stuff but composing yeah. your scores there and uh and i always love those those sequels too i know like back then disney didn't kind of those were like more like the direct-to-video market back then exactly. in the day 
but yep. now like now it's like no that doesn't exist anymore so it's like frozen 2 right. gets big you know release it would never be like a direct video or right exactly thing. yeah yeah and frozen had its own you know uh wonderful um life you know i mean frozen is its own world right and yeah, so it's, it's, and i mean yeah. i think that that signified a really i think if you have like a second disney renaissance that probably started yeah. it you know and, totally agree. Yep. and so with wish uh you know, now now you're doing songs as well but the score as well so it's you're you're really touching every facet of this film and it's also celebrating disney's 100th anniversary so it's in really kind of celebrating disney's legacy and you've been such a huge part of that as well so it must have been so i mean creatively rewarding to 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 take on this project so but i'm curious let's i mean let's jump jump into which what were i guess what were the what was the starting point for the music i mean we know how you kind of got got hired got part of the team so what, what were the first conversations about music um and uh i guess yeah take me through i guess the whole process because i'm curious you know, i'm sure songs come first because those are something that and then score comes later or is it all kind of i'm doing both at the same time i'm curious how your brain can you know separate all of that and tackle the whole process i'm curious what the first conversations were and what did you want to bring to it and uh how did that kind of take off and the whole approach yeah yeah the um well if i can just even move back just a smidge um if if you don't mind um it was to me a complete miracle to get hired for this film Really? You know, because I had given up, I had done those um, sequels that you mentioned, but that was 20 years ago. Yeah. And then I, once I kind of did that, turned that corner to being um, a, a song arranger in films, I kind of realized at that point, any dream of being uh, the composer on a film was gone, was never going to happen, wow. you know? And so for, so 10 years ago, I'd given up that dream. Of, of ever getting a chance to be a composer um, or or the composer, not not the additional music or ghostwriter guy, sure. you know? Yeah. And so, so I got called about a year and a half ago out of the blue by by Matt Walker um, asking if I'd be interested in, you know, being considered for being, working, being the composer on this film, you know, Wish. And I yeah. thought, oh, ha ha Matt you know this is this is a funny joke you know <laughs> I didn't say that but I was thinking yeah like, you know, because no way why would any why would they hire me I had no really essentially no track record it was very minimal as a as a composer and um and I I just sort of thought well this is you know they'll maybe think about it but but I'm not gonna get this job why would they hire me so yeah. so a couple months went by and I didn't hear from Matt again and, and, or anybody. And I thought, Oh, it's gone. You know, it was a nice little dream, you know, but yeah. then, and then I eventually got to a point where I thought, Oh, I'll just call Matt and see, you know, is there any news or who got it or whatever, you know? And, <laughs> and he said, no, no, you're still in the hunt, you know, and it'll be a couple of weeks, you know, and then is what we're planning on. And then we're going to make a decision. The directors will make a decision. And, uh, and I thought, Oh, well, okay. <laughs> you know, but I still didn't believe it. But then Tom and Matt called me up. Then um, this would have been uh, first week of September a year ago, so like maybe twelve months ago, and 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 told me, you know, that I that somehow I'd been hired to. They didn't say that, wow. but I thought I'd been hired to be the composer. And I just screamed at the top of my lungs because I couldn't believe it. You know, and again, this was a dream <laughs> since amazing. I was twelve years old. It was it was a literally a fifty year dream. You know. Oh, wow. Um, and to have it finally come to fruition was just like shocking and uh, and and then very emotional. I um, just uh, when it finally sunk in that I'd finally kind of oh, made it. I can't. I mean, that's, that makes me so happy, though, to, to, to have that because it, it's such a beautiful. I mean, you must have been once you got off the phone, you must have been like a swirl of emotions and just totally. like, you know, it. <laughs> yeah. and I ran in to talk to my wife and tell her and I was crying and then she started crying, you know, and yeah. You know, it was really, it was, it's, it sounds cliche or corny or whatever, but it really was the dream come true. Right. And, yeah. uh, and again, the thing that I thought was never going to happen. And uh, right. so I suppose that's a lesson, right. That you don't ever know what really is going to happen. And yeah. So, yeah. But uh, anyway, so now getting back to your questions, <laughs> sorry. No, no, so no. Absolutely no. Yeah, it feel I don't, I don't ever feel sorry for talking. Like I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm soaking it all in right now. It's, it's amazing, yeah, yeah. and you're such a great storyteller too. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> not too boring, but musically and uh, vocally, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so so then, um, I guess it would have been early October was when uh, my first. So about a month after I found out I was hired, it was my first meeting. So then they 
uh, I went down to Burbank and and had the meeting with um, it was the whole story team and uh, yeah. um, and and that was the first time then that I met um, Julie Michaels and Ben Rice and so uh, so it was the directors it was Jen Lee it was Tom it was Matt it was this uh, Allison story it was uh, the producers Juan Pablo and Peter and it was like you know the whole team you yeah. know was in there and um and uh so at that point the only song that had been written was this wish and um but i believe it was even that first day was when then julian ben brought in their next song that the, the second song that they'd written for the film to play for the for the the team and so so i guess you could say then i was engaged in the in the project musically not from the very 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 beginning but from pretty close to the very beginning so yeah um, and to to your question that you'd ask, the songs definitely come first, and uh, the songs are um, a very integral part of the story arc. So that's why they really get developed along with the the, the storyline. And so the first eight months or so that I was working on the film was all songs. It was only songs. And um, um, but um, was score was ever like was score ever like do? I'm curious. Like as you're working and arranging, working with the songwriters and arranging them and kind of making these songs come to life does that unknowingly is it already influencing what the score is going to be or do you like already or as you're working on the songs is that a score in your mind still like how it's going to be kind of all connected and kind of work together yeah and and you're right i was always it was always in the back of my mind that oh my gosh i got to think about it because it was very clear right. one of the things that they wanted you know disney and everybody was kind of looking for from me was to be able to bring continuity to the film musically yeah. and um i think one thing uh like when you see sometimes when you see a movie that the songs are written and produced by different people than the than the score is you know you really feel a jolt from you got score and then all of a sudden you have songs that live in a whole different world and then yep. you, you know you go back to score so so i think that was one of the things that i brought to the party um, or at least that they were hoping I was going to bring to the party was to be able to make this flow throughout the film. And and so even though I wasn't working on themes yet um, and I wasn't really, uh, and this must, much of the film was still storyboarded, you know, it wasn't really even beyond, you know, into, into um, 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 shoot, well, I forgot the term now, but beyond storyboarding, the next. Like next a visual, visual development or yeah. previs or animatics. Yeah, there's stuff. a word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm talking about, though. But yeah. But so I couldn't really, um, I couldn't write anything specifically to picture. But I was always aware that I was starting to think, well, I'm going to need a theme for this character. I'm going to need things for you know Magnifico, and you know I'm going to need need themes for these different characters. And so I I would start kind of you know subconsciously thinking about it, but it really was almost entirely focused on songs and uh um and uh mixed in there also i took about a month where i was working on once upon a studio which was um yeah the short another, yeah. yeah the short where i was the composer of that as well and so i had about a month in there where i sort of stepped back from wish and, and did that project and um but but the songs one of the things that kept being um reiterated to me uh from the team was to to try to bridge the gap from score to the songs. Right. And so, um, and so also it was trying to make, knowing that the songs were going to be fairly modern songs to um, make the score, even though the score was discussed as being wanting to be a kind of a classic Disney sound, but it was also wanting to have um, modern elements as well. So I've got synthesizers going, I've got percussion that you wouldn't necessarily have in a 19, you know, in, in Dumbo or something, you know, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And a lot of guitar, you know, a lot of uh, acoustic guitar going on. But so whenever I would get close to the song, I would have to craft the introduction to the song, knowing that I would then have to backfill score to connect up with that introduction. So... I was knowing as I was working on those introductions that I was going to have to connect somehow. So that was always in my mind, you yeah. know, when I was, when I was working on the song. So, um, yeah. So I'm yeah. curious, like when they give you kind of, because we when you're working on something, especially for Disney and Disney, the name Disney's no longer, I think, I mean, we think about Walt Disney as well, but that name is now kind of uh, essentially, I guess I call it a brand, but a style and kind of a, a feeling like when you say Disney film, it kind of, kind of, kind of showers over, uh, the, the filmmakers that are also working on it, but also bringing themselves into it. And you can look through the Disney kind of legacy and you see how the animation style has changed and how the even song styles. And we talked about you know, certain renaissances of the animation. So I'm curious when you're given kind of these, like it needs to be a Disney sound, it needs to have this, it needs to feel modern. 
where do, I'm curious, how do you put yourself into there? How does, how does the, the Dave Metzger sound and how do you feel um, that you can add your voice to it and make it unique to not just make it a legacy kind of Disney film, but also a personal expression of yourself? Yeah, yeah. I, um, and I just have to say, man, that's an amazing question. That's a great question. I hope <laughs> I'm going to be able to address it properly because that's a beautiful question. Um, yeah. You know, and a lot of it, it, there was kind of this benefit that I had of doing Once Upon a Studio because then because of that, I was also simultaneously going back and restudying the entire Disney canon, right? A musical canon, going yeah. back to Snow White, Be, you know? And so, and I've been lucky, I've worked on 11 out of the 62 Disney feature animation films ever made, you know, right. going back to Snow White, I worked on, what is that, a fifth of them almost, you know, 20% of them, That's insane. You know, which is kind of I, wild, right? Yeah. And so, because of that, I kind of have a, I think, a connection to obviously the Tarzan forward um, Disney style and sound. But then I've also been a big studier because of different films like Disenchanted and a lot of other projects I've done over my career. I've had um, the wonderful opportunity to have access to the printed scores of those original films. So I yeah. can go back and study Snow White. I can go back and study Pinocchio. I can go back and study Peter Pan. Cinderella, Jungle Book, uh, you know, uh, and so, and I love studying, you know, again, coming back to my dad, right, you know, I, yeah, I love yeah. this endless horizon of music, you know, that you can never learn it all, and you can never know it all. So, um, so I, I cherish those moments to be able to like, really kind of learn more. So I just would go back and study and see orchestrationally, what were those tendencies, you know, um, melodic line shape, what did they kind of do? And so, but a big part of which was, so that worked great in, in Once Upon a Studio because we really did want to grab, you know, like it, make it really feel like a, a vintage piece. But Wish, yeah. it was more of a, you want to harken back to it, but you had to have modern elements as well. But so one of the fun challenges was taking those um, lessons that I'd learned and then um, modifying them, you know, modernizing them um, to have a different a little bit different shape. The melody, you know, might go this way on one thing, but I would go maybe like, you know, just take it a little different spin and color-wise as well, orchestrationally, try to allude to, you know, um, to not allude, but really use the colors that were used then, but also then put on top, you know, modern percussion, synthesizers, uh, flamenco guitar, you know, and and stuff like that. So, um, so that was really, um, and that was very much desired by the directors. You know, we really yeah, yeah. talked about Chris and Paul and I. We really did talk about what the direction of the of the sound of the score was going to be. And um, so it was really a wonderful. It could, I mean, I you know, I suppose it was kind of probably right up my alley to be the composer on the score too. Frankly, you know, but yeah, I mean, you would be. Yeah, I can't imagine a better a better fit. I mean, someone who's worked within the whole legacy of, of a studio and has studied all of the music that's come before it, and and I love how I mean, I love how studious you are, and like you love to study and research and keep learning because I, I was funny. I, I talked. I got a, a small chance to talk to Richard Sherman at an event one time. We had oh a little gosh. sit down, little sit. I had maybe like eight minutes with him, but and I said, you know, how did like. And he just talked about being a sponge. Like he's like my style, my brother's style. It's like you're just a sponge. You just take it in, and it filters through you, and then it comes out a little bit different. But it's like that's how humans communicate through art. It's like yep. you you take an art, and it affects you emotionally, and then you you put it back out. You know, it's like yeah, absolutely. It's, so yeah. you're so right about that, and he's so right about it. And and I think that's one thing that um, you know sometimes people uh, um, I'm tangent. Go, I'm hit on a tangent. Oh, here. that's it. So, that's that's, 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 these are conversations I love. We can, we can, yeah, we'll come back yeah, to yeah. it. Don't worry. <laughs> but I was just going to say, you know, a lot of people will tell you, oh, I'm not creative or I don't know, you know, I, you know, how to do it. But the reality of it is, we all have it in us. You know, it's yeah. just a matter of, you, you just said it perfectly that it's, it's, it's absorbing and filtering and then re putting it out there. So that's all, it's within all of us to do that, you know, and it's just, I suppose some of us maybe are, um, you know, geared more towards it or more interested in it. I don't know. I don't know what, but we're all creative. Everybody's we're all, creative. Yeah, everyone's creative. And I, I, I was just thinking about, I was on, I was doing a, a recording a panel a few, either last night or the night before, which one it was, but 
we were talking, I was like, social media and phones and technology has changed. I mean, it's funny because I, I was like, when I went to film school, I was like the last class. I, I know even though I was much younger as I am as you, it's like, I still feel old because I was literally the last class to use 16 millimeter film in my film oh school. My gosh. And then I went right to mini DV tapes and digital like right, right afterwards. Like, right. so I was like, I everything I learned, I was like, oh, okay, so I guess we're not using, you know, Aton and Airy films or Airy uh, SR2s anymore and all that stuff. Right. Like, okay, I, I was a 35 millimeter projectionist. So I, you know, I kind of worked on that. But you, wow. but now it's like, and when and film school, like I would, you're the film guy. It's like, oh yeah, you make movies, right? Like, oh yeah, you're in, my friends were like in business degrees and doing all these other right. things. They did, sure. but now it's like everyone is a storyteller. Everyone has a like a 4K 24P camera in their pocket. Yeah. They're creating short form reels and stuff. They're 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 acting like I'm watching people like act out little skits and memes, and it's like people are acting and shooting and editing, and they don't, it's like everyone is a storyteller and it's kind of cool. It's like everyone has yeah. a, a platform now to express themselves. And it, it, it's and so it's, true. Yeah. You know, and I always used to think too, that, um, you know, when I was young, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not young really now. Right. But, but when I was young, I, I, there were no computers, right. Yet I right. still had all early writing. I did. It was, it was with a pencil on scorecard, you know, on paper and stuff. And, and that was really great. Cause I really learned a lot by doing that, that I still use now, you know, as far as layout and, you know, score layout and making it page turns right for the conductor, things sure. like that. Right. That, you know, that, that you, you learned really well from that, but I'm also old, young enough, I guess it is. Yeah. Right. That I um, was 20, one when I got my first computer, an Atari 1040ST, right? You know, and it was, and then shortly thereafter, it was a Mac, you know, whatever it was, an SC, I guess it was, what was my first Mac, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I've been using computer technology since early 83 or whatever it was, you know, 83, 84. And so, um, so that's a real deep part of me as well. But, but where I was sort of heading is back when you were younger, you, when I was younger, um, you had to somehow have had the training to know how yeah. to write notes on a page and do it like that. And, and kind of one of the, you know, technology isn't all good, right? There, you know, sure, there's downfall, there's downsides to everything. Yeah. 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 It can be abused or, you know, used in ways that people don't maybe understand that then, you know, but, but the beauty of it is it's opened up this world to just as we were talking about to where anybody can write music now anybody can sing music and record it anybody can make a film anybody can do digital art you know that it, it's it's a lot more accessible now and um and now there still is a, a gradation i believe to you know quality levels but but yeah. really but what it comes down to right though is we all can express ourselves i'd love to um do more um uh, art you know like uh, visual art you know that yeah. would be something that i would really be interested in doing and and uh and and now i kind of feel like oh i got a shot at doing it like painting then that would have been pretty pretty sad you know my painting skills would have been bad but, <laughs> but i kind of feel like okay I, there's some accessibility now that it, it could be kind of enjoyable and rewarding so yeah sorry. i mean it, it no yeah. absolutely no, but that, I agree with that completely because I, as I grew up through technology changes too, and you, you see everything change to digital, but I think digital, I think the, the downside digital is like, okay, when digital has to do everything for you, like what a human can express, that's when it becomes kind of hollow and empty. And that's why I, yeah. we're not going to go on the tangent of AI and what that could potentially yeah. say, but like, but having, using technology as a tool to help mm -hmm. you get maybe somewhere, but still just like as a tool rather than a crutch, you know? And I think- <laughs> Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. that's it, 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 you. You couldn't have said it better. It's a, using it as a tool rather than a crutch. And you know, I I I can't really probably move my camera down, but you know, I I'm just surrounded by controllers here in front yeah. of me. You can't see them, and and it's because I've there. It's a tool, so it enables me to work more efficiently. But I still work organically and it, in a way. But the process is, is still the same. Yeah, the exactly process right. is the same. The still the same. It's just faster now because I've I've taken the time to program all these shortcuts and stuff. Yeah, I just re recently we did the the liners. A uh, friend of mine and uh, two friends of mine. We did we expanded the rock. Hans Zimmer, Nick Lenny Smith, and Harry Gertz yeah. Williams, and and your buddy Don. You know, also yep. worked on that. And uh, yep. and I was talking to Harry for the liner notes, and he was like, he was like, you know, Kai, that was like the time where you know NLEs like really kind of took off, like nonlinear editing systems, and yep. like. And he's like, we would send something back and then we'd wake up the next morning and then it was already in the cut. And we're like, what? Like, you know, like yep. the, mid, the mid to late nineties where it's like a change. And like, he's like, yeah, we would deliver the score. And like next week we're at the premiere and it's playing, you know, at the premiere, like in the, in, on the boat going to, to the Alcatraz. And he's right, like, right, is, exactly. You know, yeah, so those stories right. where you kind of, the, the technology kind of changing and growing up during those times, like, I think we both, even though we're both from different like eras, it's like, we both saw these significant Absolutely. technology, technological changes. Yeah.
and you know right it's going to keep going it's yeah, going to keep always. going yeah yeah and so That's... we're going to be talking well i don't know if we're going to be talking 20 30 years from now we'll see <laughs> i hope so <laughs> i hope so <laughs> i don't know but uh, but you know it'll be it'll be interesting to reconnect and and then talk about it then you know with this conversation in mind and see where things are then and yeah um, absolutely yeah. Well, um, I, you know, you know, we've we've covered a lot of stuff though. We talk, we covered a wish, but I want to kind of maybe go back to maybe just your. I want to. I'm curious about your general approach, like your curiosity as a storyteller. So, you know, it doesn't have to be. I know that this question is going to could be applied to be completely different for a, a different film, depending on what the film is and what the project is. But I'm curious, what's your kind of general starting point? If you had like a, a if you had like an open like you know you got your way you're either on early enough where you could read the script or you come in late or you you know if you prefer to wait for that like locked picture you prefer to be on set if it's not animated and kind of or be in you know look at concept art or anything like that i'm curious where do you go to to kind of pull that first note out of you what's your kind of where do you gravitate towards for for inspiration right you know and and honestly the way i look at it is the earliest earlier that you can get involved somehow is the better and be it a yeah. script or be it a rough cut or be it like you said on on set or you know the, the earlier you can become start to become engrossed i think it's better um and what happens to me then is it, i think it's a, it is a lot subconsciously but you start thinking about it right and yeah. in your dreams at night you know you um you are thinking about these things and i can't tell you how many times on wish i would wake up in the middle of the night at the beginning of the process with a thematic idea wow. and i would get out of bed and i'd go old school and i, I just learned to just have some paper you yeah, know some paper score, you. score paper and a pencil and i would just write it out because i knew if i waited until the morning i'd forget it and i would bet you i had probably about five or six themes that are major themes in the film that came that way um that were just wow. middle of the night deals and uh and so did, uh, do you were you dreaming of anything that woke you up or do you just woke wake up and not realize what woke you up you know what I think it was is I would, I, and I might be wrong, but I think what happened, I believe what happened is I would go to bed intentionally thinking about this character and mm -hmm. what what storyboards I'd seen on this film. They were storyboards at that point. Yeah, yeah. Were leading me towards and just in the general arc of the character of the whole film, what that character really is kind of about. And I would intentionally go to bed thinking about that and drift asleep, and then at some point down the road wake up so i don't know if it's because i i don't know much about sleep studies I yeah you know, i was like were you in like a ram or whatever you know <laughs> yeah i don't know if they're different layer i know there are different layers but i don't know what yeah. layer i would have been in but it maybe wasn't deep enough to where i was fully you know asleep but it was like at a subconscious level that i was still processing my brain was and and i would just wake up you know you get to an age and you start waking up anyway in the middle yeah, yeah. of the night right yeah <laughs> i'm a light <laughs> sleeper anyway yeah 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 <laughs> but so i would wake up and then and lo and behold there'd be the these ideas and and again i it was kind of shocking it's the first time that's happened to me i don't usually i've never worked like that before wow okay it, that's, that's interesting yeah. yeah yeah but but uh um but it was kind of like um i I, um, you know, if I am so lucky to have another film in my future, I would really do the same thing because I really think that's um, it worked for me on this one. And I think it's it's a value, valuable, uh, viable way to kind of uh, uh, come up with themes. And so so then the next point is that really themes are the the most important thing, at least in in my book, you know, um, you know, establishing your themes for your characters as early as you can. You know, just save so much time and um and heartache and and panic. <laughs> yeah, sure. So is that kind of is that your first like I guess your so your first thing is to kind of sit down and just develop maybe like a, a just kind of gear up kind of your your repertoire of like of themes and motifs and stuff. So then then you can start figuring out how you're gonna expand them and do the variations and all that. So is that is that process for you just sitting at a piano? Do you like to noodle and listen to other things? Is is it a very uh, vulnerable like maybe isolated process do you like to talk to people i'm curious like what yeah. your, your creative yeah. process is yep for me it really is um uh um i don't do a lot of people will do like a three five minute suite right like square right, suite right. before they even start and i don't really tend to do that because i've kind of found that for me by the time i then try to take that suite and sort of retrofit it into what the picture actually ends up being 
for me, it doesn't quite work as well. Um, I know it's great for a lot of people. You know, I think yeah. that that's, I, I would actually recommend people to to try that at least. Uh, I just have kind of found for me, it's not so good. So I tend to work on these individual themes and like, like I was saying, they'd come, they'd come to me, they, a lot of them came to me in the middle of the night. I would write them down without any instrument. I mean, I would just reach over and grab the paper and yeah. turn on a little light and write it out because I have that ability to go from my head to write out the, the the melody or the lines on paper so then i would wake up the next morning and look at the sheet and most of them were actually you know keepable so then i would either go out to a piano and start just kind of playing around with different uh iterations of those themes i'm a i'm a really bad piano player like i said earlier yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm an even worse guitar player but <laughs> but i would though if they were like guitar melodies i really think that there's something to be said for writing on the instrument that you're um going to be using and so i would sometimes then i would just come out and fiddle around you know on the guitar uh um and and develop the melodies is what and this is so then really the developmental portion of those themes yeah and um so they'd start out as just uh head to paper and then i would develop them sitting in an wow. instrument that i'm not very fluent in <laughs> that's it. that was interesting because i know I, i've interviewed like uh, hector Pereira, who's a yeah. guitarist and he guitarist. rigged it rigged it rigged it up so that that's his method he'll, he'll you know he knows guitar and he'll start getting his themes and kind of melodies through there versus a piano or you know a yeah. keyboard or anything like that or so yeah, yeah. If, if that's a kind of your i guess your your you know your muse and that's where you kind of want to go towards yep. i think yep. any artist can figure a way to express themselves get those first notes out or first ideas out right. yeah right and yeah. I think that's the real key is get those first themes down. And then what would kind of happen is uh, when I got to actually then putting it to picture, the themes to picture, I would, um, I'd play the, the the cue and I would usually on a piano and it's, it's laughable how bad I am, but I would sort of just sort of watch the picture and I would just sort of, sort of outline, you know, what it felt like, right. And as much as I think I was looking for the tempo, you know, of the cue. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, and looking and it, it helped lead me to where I would want to maybe change up, you know, the the cue like on on a cut or something that you know. So, um, and then after that, then immediately after that, it's that's the first step of for me. Then I write, I use a guide piano method, so I will write the cue on just a piano only, um, a, a synthesized piano, um, and uh, and that's where I figure out my tempos. And I, I line up the hits, but it's all piano only. So I'm not dealing with, you know, when I was young, I thought, oh man, I'm an orchestrator or whatever. I, you know, I'll write the whole <laughs> orchestra, but then you waste so much time, like, you know, messing around, moving, you know, 40 tracks instead of just a single one, you know? And so, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I figure out my roadmap with that guide piano. And then when that's uh, set and I feel comfortable with that, then, then I get into uh, writing the orchestra parts uh, using yeah. samples. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, I, I'm curious, like, uh, how do you, I get, especially we keep talking about Wish, because I think animation allows you to get kind of big, you can be melodramatic, you can be, you know, lush and, and kind of larger than you would in live action. So I'm curious, but I think you can still maybe do too much. So how do you know, like, uh, where's the balance? Like, is it just all about instinct that you're feeling like, okay, I'm feeling I'm doing too much. You like to go big and then maybe draw it back and see like, where that line is of being, oh, this is, this is kind of, too much saturation for the scene or i'm curious how do you right. do you rely on your director's feedback or do you uh kind of feel it first and then present it or just pitch like the biggest thing and let your feedback come in i'm curious like kind of how that process yeah. is <laughs> I, i'm just gonna say right now you must have a direct line to my brain because that's like you, you like nailed everything right there in in the question that i kind of went through on this film where um certainly you know animation like you said especially a, a film like this that i think really supports a big you know, um, kind of epic, classic Disney orchestral score, you know, with yeah. modern, right? I think that this film really supported that. Um, but but I'll also uh, go back in time to where I'd said I'd been working on Once Upon a Studio, right? right. Which was the classic, super busy cartoon music to, I mean, that's a bad word, but animated music to some degree, <laughs> right? And so I kind of found myself when I flipped back over to doing the score, I had six weeks to do the whole score, to compose the yeah. whole score. Oh, and wow. so, yeah, which wasn't as much, but so fortunately I'd been, I'd been, you know, thinking about it all for the eight months working on the song. So at least I wasn't starting, and I was very familiar with the film by the time I could start on the score. But, right. um, but what I found is 
those first couple of cues that I was working on, I was overriding, you know, because I was writing more like the, you know, 19, uh, um, the uh, Once Upon a Studio uh, um, approach. And so I had to dial, and I recognized it as I was writing, but then fortunately, you know, the, the directors and, um, and also the, you know, Tom and Matt um, were, uh, um, were sort of saying, oh, you know, you don't have to work as hard, you know, which was a good reminder that, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm not in, I'm not in the short, you know, where you had to really <laughs> overwrite, you know. So that was really good for me to be um, uh, reminded of that, uh, to, that I can step back and let, uh, let, uh, let the, uh, um, the actors do the acting. Because the fact is, I think that, you know, Ariana and Chris and the whole crew were great. You know, their their voice work was, I thought, spectacular. I thought it was really well done. So, yeah. so it was like a reminder of, okay, you know, they're <laughs> acting. Let them do their job, you know, and I'm right. there to support and to support the story and not to be the, you know, you know, the real busy. So, so that was the first, like, couple of three weeks, I'd say, of, of me working on the score. And then as the clock was ticking and I was realizing, oh my gosh, I got an orchestra in like three or four weeks from now, you know, sitting that's going to be sitting there and I got to get all the work like, like, you know, so then at some point it sort of just sort of clicked and I kind of felt like I got my sea legs under me, you know, as it were. And yeah. it became at that point a very, uh, a very instinctual process, frankly, where I was just, um, it just was flowing and I had the themes together at that point. So it was, a, you know, it becomes a matter of plugging in your themes to the scene and the vibe that you want to do in the scene. So, so it became much, much faster for me. I, I, I reached a point of where I, I um, felt like I had it under my hands yeah, and, yeah. and it just kind of started. It, I mean, it, it didn't write itself, but it just became a very through thing. I was kind of looking through a cue early today that I did and, um, and it's, it's near the it's one of the big chase moments near the end of the film and it's like a two minute just super action thing that cuts back and forth between you know it's asha being chased by magnifico it's then you cut to the teens i don't i hope i'm not spoiler i don't think at this point i'm spoiling anything i hope no, you not. can you can spoil i can put a spoiler warning beforehand but uh yeah we can put okay, a spoiler and the movie's been out so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i'm hoping that it's okay so yeah but yeah. um but it gets to the teens, like trying to figure out how to, you know, help the wishes or whatever, you know, and then you cut right. back to, you know, you're back to the chase and then you're at, um, at uh, another kind of thing. But it was a really complex two minutes. And I, I looked at it today and I realized, and I went back to my files and the way that I organize my files is when I get the, the video and dialogue loaded into my sequence and it's all ready to start writing, I save up another number. So I save that as like 1.00. And so the time that I did 1.00 was like 1.11 p.m. And then by the time I got down to um, 3.00, which was the final version of the queue, it was like, um, I think it was like 7.15. So in six hours, I had written from zero, from scratch, to this, what you hear is this two-minute raging action queue in in that in six hours and change and i was sort of going when i looked at it today i was going oh my gosh that i mean that was kind of a lot of no if you see the cue yeah it, it's called on the soundtrack it's called a a leap a look and a lesson and um and so i wrote that whole thing in in six hours you know and change wow. and it's like and w which blew me away when i looked back at it the point being it's not how how wow wasn't that cool the point being is it was so instinctual at that point that um it was just flowing you know yeah you know? and and, uh, and I we all it, get there you know I think we all, we all yeah literally this came up in another conversation i was having with the composer they're saying like it's it's, it's it, 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 it use a phrase that kind of writes itself like i feel like it's writing itself because and then i was doing liner notes on another release with um with hans and, and gore verbinski i think we're doing either the weatherman or the ring and i think gore right. brought up that it was like the movie become once the movie starts taking shape it kind of becomes an entity and it kind of tells you what it needs so kind of it's it's very much like yeah yep. so it's like it kind of you cut it's, it's like i know what this needs i know it's kind of speaking to me a little bit and you know as an artist like okay i'm going to give you what you need i'm going to kind of give you yep. the support yep. it needs like the narrative or the pacing the editing or the character moment you know kind of like yep. okay i know where to kind of weave through so absolutely yeah. true and that's so so absolutely correct and and i'd sort of throw out there that even though this was my first film as the composer 
I've worked on so many projects over 15 years, you know, and that, that it, it, it does reach that point, you know, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Honestly, you know, mm -hmm. I, it wouldn't have come out like this and, um, and it wouldn't have been as fast. And I don't think it would have been as, as true to the project or to the film, you know, Yeah. but there's something about just like doing something a lot, you know, you kind of can't help but get a little better at it. I Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious, once you, you're mentioning about like getting, you know, getting everything done ready for the recording session. So I'm curious when you're in that room with the musicians and your music is essentially coming to life, are you able to at least pause and appreciate that moment? Or are you, or is your brain like so fixated on making sure everything is perfect that, or do you kind of take a moment to be like, Oh, this is amazing. Like, I'm curious what, what your emotional, I guess, journey was through the hearing your music come to life. <laughs> yeah. Well, it always, my favorite part of any film I've ever worked on is the recording session with the orchestra. Cause yeah. I, I'm just so darn lucky to work with these musicians that sight reading anything and it's like you can put the hardest thing in the world in front of them and it's just like oh and it's like yeah. perfect you know it's so yeah, like, yeah. like for me it's always the the highlight of every project I've ever worked on is that recording session or the orchestra dates especially and um uh and so for me on this film I was pretty exhausted honestly by the time I got I to the recording session yeah but um but I also have all along I mean I've always tried to in life, you know, one of my things I always try to do is be so appreciative and thankful of every opportunity, right? And and how fortunate I am and have been, you know, and great parents, incredible wife, wonderful colleagues, you know, opportunities that I could, you know, just can't ever, you know, believe happened, you know, that I've had the chance to do it. So, but I got to those orchestra sessions and and I sat down there and the first day I sat at the board and we were at Fox, um, you know, uh, uh, scoring Living stage. And stage yeah. I was sitting at that board and I was going, holy cow, I, I actually really, I've, I've been at that board many times before. Yeah, but, but a different yeah, role and as an to realize it, it was like, oh my gosh, I really kind of made it to the top of the mountain. And I'm so <laughs> incredibly thankful and, um, and it's amazing. And, and uh, so, so it was very emotional. We were there for, I think we were there for six days, maybe five or six days for the wow. orchestra. And we'd recorded, I'd had like groove percussion before, um, like a week before getting to the orchestra just to be able to focus on that. Um, and then uh, George Jaring, I don't know if you know, George, guitar player, played on five billion film scores, you know, yeah. through his uh, amazing career. But so George was my guitarist, uh, main guitarist. I had some other players too, but George um, did a lot. So I'd done a lot of work with George just like this zoom at his studio and we do that kind of thing for a uh, while uh, maybe every two weeks i'd probably get george just you know to um uh, help my demos as much as anything you know to have, have yeah. him play on them instead of me <laughs> playing on them but uh, right but we got to the orchestra dates and it was um you know and i'm pretty focused and i'm I, again i'm very detail oriented and 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 i've done it a lot so i know that experience i know what i need to do to get through it but but every once in a while, I would just sort of go, man, this is amazing. And for me, the best part is going out into the room, you know, yeah, with, yeah. with the musicians, because that is the ultimate, you know, that it's one thing to be there behind the glass and and hearing it come through the speakers and you hear hear your music, you know, and uh, but it's a whole nother experience to be out in the room and hear it just coming at you as um for when it's been sight read too for the first time. And it's just like, oh my gosh. And so I couldn't get out there too often. But um, I would, uh, especially I remember uh, on the the action, the big final confrontation cue. It's like about a three and a half minute cue uh, between Asha and Magnifico, and um, and I I really wanted to be out there because I had done some kind of things that yeah you know I knew were going to be kind of fun for me to hear back. I wanted to hear really viscerally, you know, and and so I made sure to go out there for that reading of that, and it was just like oh my. And my wife was standing next to me, and Tom and Matt were here, and Chris and Fawn were there and Peter and, and uh, Juan Pablo and, it, and Jen, I, I can't remember if Jen was there or not, but, but it was just like all of this whole family that, you know, we'd been together on this film for, you know, a solid year at that point yeah. and just kind of, and the musicians, I mean, I, I love them so much, you know, the, and I, and I've known some of many of them for 40 years, you know, they've been a big part of my life. And so just that, just, it was just kind of like, um, I, I'm, I mean, it's hard, you can't describe it because, unless you're gone through it you know but but yeah. just that um, 
it was a lot of love, I guess, is kind of what um, it felt like. Uh, and um, and I felt so much support and um, and again, reaching that dream that I never thought was going to happen. And uh, so a very long description of of what my uh, <laughs> my experience was. No, it's a beautiful experience. And I've, I've been fortunate to be in the room a couple of times. Uh, I've, I've kind of befriended some composers that have invited me. Uh, Jeff uh-huh. uh, Zanelli invited me to his Pirates 5 sessions. And oh, wonderful. I was there with Nick Lenny Smith conducting in the room and v- taking photos and videoing. And I'm good friends with Dom Lewis. And he invited me yep. to his own. Um, Dom's great. Yep. Yeah, Dom is. Yeah, I know you, you did all the songs for Spirited and he did the score. Yep. But uh, yeah, but Dom, like, yeah, Dom also, like, I mean, he, he praised Raises you too like i go hang out at his studio and he's uh he's like oh dave is the, dave is the best you know and that's so kind of him to say yeah yeah no, i think dom is a, a tre- tremendous talent and oh yeah but it, just being in the room i remember he uh i was just you know he's like yeah come on down like record and just you know i just and, you know hans invited me to his uh, yeah. tour rehearsals and i'm just there doing fly on the wall stuff and see if i can come to come up to yeah. something just filming some stuff and watching it happen and dom is like oh i have a few we have like a we have like an hour left can i just you know, I want to record the whole suite. Can you just, we're going to do it just for filming. And he was oh, able to man. come and he, and he was able to come in the room and experience it. And I was able to cut together like a little music video, kind of, you know, music video of like yep. his suite. Yep. So it was, uh, I know that so, moment yeah. like getting from other side of the glass to come in and see Dom in the room with, you know, his music yep. was pretty cool. <laughs> it's amazing. And I'm so glad you've had those experiences. And I, I only kind of wish that more people could have those experiences, you know, yeah. because uh, um, it really is, just something that until you're there and you hear it you just can't even imagine how incredible it is so i know that's why i try to get in there with my camera if i can i get there with my camera i know it doesn't do justice here watching on youtube or anything but like to feel it in the room but just and i think it's very rare to see like a full session or full anything so but yeah yeah. absolutely so cool oh so happy (laughs) (laughs) well i'm happy for you so i want to say yeah congratulations on wish i mean it it brings me so much joy to, to see you like really just like working your craft and and I've been following your career I mean since I was young and and always seeing your name pop up and it was always uh, exciting when you know either either if you were orchestrating I knew it was going to be an amazing sound if you were writing you know I knew it was going to be a great you know fantastic score just full of life and uh you're such an amazing talent Dave so I want to thank you so much for all your time this evening you know it was such a a joy yeah (laughs) well it's it's uh it and i really enjoyed having a chance to talk with you and and uh i i wish you all the best i i sure hope that we'll have a chance to to stay in contact